0: We've been looking at uh, the two letters that, Timoth- that Paul wrote to Timothy. And uh, as we've looked at them, we realize that uh, one, one of the things, as is, is you keep looking at it, and, and all three of the messages so far that I've done, has the word, in the title, has the word keep it, keep at it, keep at it. Because it's really a message that Paul writes to Timothy of encouragement. He wants to encourage him in. Uh, pastoring the church at Ephesus and and living the Christian life and helping people understand what it means to to be a Christian. So, you know, he starts out in that first chapter, he he just says, you know, Timothy, make sure your motives are pure. Keep your motives pure in what you're doing. Be sure you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure that uh, you're working to minister to people and, and lead people and help people. And then last week we looked at, he says, he says, Keep your spiritual growth going. Keep growing in Christ. And he gives some examples of of what happens when you don't, as he lists a couple of people who have fallen away from the faith and the problem that that they cause and the problems that they're having. And so this morning, as we go to to, uh, chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, keep prayer a priority. Keep prayer a priority. Look what he says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith, and truth keep prayer priority uh paul tells timothy and you know if you're paying any attention to the to the public discourse right now you know that uh anytime anybody uses the phrase well we're sending thoughts and prayers or thoughts and prayers to you you know it it can bring condemnation down upon your head because they they say we've got to do something besides pray you know, prayers don't do anything, doesn't do anything to pray, it's, it's useless. We have to have something more than thoughts of prayer, thoughts and prayer, and, and it's a battle of public opinion that we probably, as the church, won't be able to do anything about. People feel like, well, we've got to do something, we've got to do something, and praying is not enough, so they march and they chant and they call for change, and they're praised for their activism, and, and still... No, nothing really changes, and the truth is, as I agree with them. There's not much use in saying to somebody, "I'm sending you thoughts and prayers," if you're not praying for them. Praying for them is what makes the difference. Not telling them that you're praying for them. On the other hand, I differ just a little bit. Praying does make a difference. Praying makes the difference. And so Paul, as he's, he's writing to Timothy, he says, prayers first of all. First of all, of first priority, he says, I want you to remember to pray. We need to take time to pray. We need to remember to pray. You know, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He 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 had the power of God. Did, did you ever wonder? why he found it so necessary to pray. To Jesus, prayer was, first of all, he prayed early in the morning. You can go through the New Testament and look at Jesus' life. Uh, In Mark one thirty-five, it says, And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. In Luke, it tells us that Jesus prayed all night long. It says, and it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In the psalm, David says that uh, when you're in your bed is a good time to pray. He said, when I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. Jesus prayed before every great moment in his life. Before he chose the 12 disciples, the 12 that were going to follow him, he spent the night in prayer. He prayed for about the people that he was going to choose, and he prayed for, before them, before the Sermon on the Mount, before the crucifixion. He, he spent the time, the night in the garden in prayer and asking others to pray with him. Jesus prayed after every great moment in his life. He prayed before it, he lived it, and then he prayed after it about what had happened. He prayed when he was extremely busy. In Luke chapter 5 it says, But the news about him were spreading even farther, and great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. In other words, there were people everywhere. He was as busy as he could be. And then Luke tells us, But Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness. To pray. So why why does he pray so much? Well, because he knew what Paul was going to say to Timothy. It's first of all, it's top priority to remember to pray, and and then Paul uses some words here. He says, "I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings. Those are four different words that are used." to pray, about prayer, different aspects of prayer. So he actually says, first of all then, I urge that you pray and pray and pray and pray. And then he kind of gives you some examples and some things about what to pray about. The first word is a word that means to, to give a prominence to your personal needs, to, to pray for your own needs. In, and in this case, in the idea that uh, the... Uh, in the context of what he's about to say, he's talking about with, with, under your government, under those who have authority over you. Pray for your own needs. Pray, pray for your personal and your family needs. The next word is a verbal form that just simply means to be close to somebody. And in this case, it's be close to God. Get, get to know God. It, it, fall in with a person, to draw near to him so as to converse with him familiarly. Paul is saying, you need to learn to converse with God as a friend, as a person, in free and familiar conversation. The next word has the word of inter- the meaning of interference. He says, pray to interfere with what's going on. Pray to, to get involved with what's happening. He says, we're to interfere in world affairs by praying for them. Lifting them up to the Lord. And then the last word that he uses, Eucharistus, simply means to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for what he's done. So, so four different aspects of prayer. And Paul says to Timothy, don't, don't forget to pray. And he says, pray for every person. You know, don't, don't omit anybody from your prayer list. Now, I don't think Paul is saying to Timothy, now, Timothy, you take out your scroll and you write a na- list of every name of everybody you know. And you pray for them every day. I don't think that's what he's saying. But what I'm saying, I think he's saying is don't forget to pray for anybody. You know, Don't strike anybody. Don't, don't say to anybody, I'm not going to pray for you anymore. You're so lost. You know, you're out of the equation. I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to care about you anymore. And then I think this is the reason he said that. Because he, he says, I want you to pray. You need to pray for the kings. You need to pray for the king. The king, when Paul wrote this, was Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, Nero hated the Christians. When Rome burned down, he blamed it on the Christians. He persecuted the Christians. He was the the first Roman Empire emperor to really uh, uh, curse and to persecute the Christians. And so Paul says... Timothy, don't forget to pray for Nero. You know, such such a bad guy. You don't have to like him. You don't have to agree with him. But you are to pray for him. And, you know, I've I've used this a lot, you know, to, to people who are struggling in a church with their pastor. You don't have to like your pastor. But you have to pray for him. Pray for him. You don't have to like the governor. But pray for him. You don't have to like... Your congressman, you don't have to like your president, you don't have to like those people, but you, God says, Paul says to Timothy, you do have to pray for them, pray for them, lift them up. Anyone who is in authority, and and there's three reasons he says. Number one is so that you'll have a quiet and tranquil life. Anybody wish their life was quieter and more tranquil at, at times? Paul Paul says, pray for those. That uh, are upsetting you, that are that are giving you, giving you problems, and then he says, so that you can live in godliness and dignity. Remember to stay in touch with God, so you can be godly, and be a person with dignity. And then he says, to open up the gospel. You know, you 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 don't want to. Um, live such a life that it turns people away from Christ. It turns people away from the gospel because God desires every person to be saved. That's what he says. God desires every person to be saved. The second word that he uses is the prayer that talks about understanding the heart of God, getting to know God, to come before God in conversation. Uh, God will open his mind and his thoughts to you and he will let his will be known to us as we spend time with him and, and what we need to remember about prayer one of the misconceptions I think that we maybe we don't have in our mind about what prayer is but in our life what prayer is prim- prayer is not primarily to decide what God can give us or what will give us Pr- prayer is primarily to give us an understanding of God and what God wants. Someone has said that the purpose of prayer is to first gaze at God's face and then glance at God's hand. In other words, get to know who God is and then just glance at his gifts. But if the truth be known, and I'm guilty and most of us are guilty, We glance at God's face and then gaze at God's hand. We have it it backwards. Paul says, and this is good that we pray like this because it's God's desire for all to be saved. Look Look what he said. He says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. In other words, what, what Paul says is that Jesus Christ is our mediator. When, when we talk to God, it is, it is through Jesus Christ. You know, you don't have to have a priest to talk to God. You don't have to have me pray to God on your behalf. You can pray to God. You can go directly to God and and have God... Listen to you, and you begin to know God. Uh, you don't have to have an angel. I, you know, I think, as a matter of fact, an angel would get in the way. An angel would get in the way between you and God as you were trying to to uh, know God and understand God. And you don't have to have a saint. You are a saint if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the reason that we can do that is because Jesus Christ paid the price. He paid the ransom. You have been bought and paid for with a price. You belong to God. God is your Father. God is your Savior. Jesus Christ takes us right into the presence of God. And that's what prayer can be for us. And the reason that we pray is it's the only way for you to know the heart of God. You know, I've kind of mentioned it a little bit last week. You know, if if we're not careful... Because of our humanness, we begin to think that God thinks like we do. And the way you keep that from happening is spending time in your word and spending time with God and getting to understand that God wants us to think like he does. For, for example, and, and here's the example that Paul gives here. God wants us to have a passion for lost people for people who don't know Christ. He wants us to have a passion for them. He wants us to really care about them. And we we realize that as we read His Word and we hear His heart, we, we realize that it's a passion that leaves the 99 to go in search of the one. It's the passion that lays down a person's life for a friend. Paul tells us, in uh, Philippians it's it, it's the passion that sets aside its own rights for the rights of others it's a passion that sees lost people through the eyes of Jesus Christ the way Jesus sees it's a passion that sees the needs of unchurched people as much as the needs of churched people it's a passion that risks letting go of anything that it 's a barrier to reach others for Jesus Christ, you know but you you don 't understand those things because somebody convinces you of those things or because somebody writes a book and you read that book you 're convinced of those things because you spend time with God, and you begin to understand what god 's passion is. you begin to understand what God cares about, and you realize that that what God cares about His people. He cares about others. He cares about the lost. He cares about the saved. He cares about those who are hurting. God cares about them. And and it's when we spend time with God in prayer that we begin to, to get a glimpse of the passion of God. And then he says that when we pray like that, Our prayer unites with God's will and it makes a difference. This is how we know that that prayer makes a difference. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge the angels? How much more matters of this life? I don't know about you, but that's a little bit scary to me. You know, If, if I'm going to be responsible for making those kinds of judgments, I need to know what God's mind is, what God's heart is. That's why prayer remains so important. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Just a thought. Do you think there's any possibility that the reason that the world is in such a mess right now is because Christian people have misused the keys? Just asking, not blaming, just wondering. Just wondering. As I, as I ask myself. In John, Jesus says to them again, he's to his disciples. He says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And listen to this verse. Listen to this verse. And just try to put it in the context of what we're talking about. If you forgive the sins of anybody, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. How important is it for us to forgive one another? Somebody say, pretty important. It's pretty important that we do that. We've got to forgive or or people don't get their sins forgiven. You say, and what, what Jesus is saying here and what Paul is saying through this is that God works in cooperation with us. And we can change our world because God wants our world to be right and the first thing that we can do, the important thing, the first priority, is prayer. Make prayer make a difference. Because it's not one thing that can make a difference. It is the thing that can make a difference. Let me, uh, let me share an Old Testament passage with you. It's in Second Kings, and it's King Hezekiah. And uh, he prays. Listen to his prayer. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hands of the messengers and read it. And the messengers brought him some bad news. And he went up to the house of the Lord went up to the temple. And he spread this letter out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the angels, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of earth, you have made heaven and earth. So Lord, incline your ear, O Lord, incline your ear, o Lord and hear me. Open your eyes, Lord, and see me, and listen to these words of Sinerturib which he has sent to reproach the living God. That's who the message came from that was the bad news. God, the kings of Israel of Assyria have devastated the nations and the lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. This cherub is conquering the land. He's conquering all the peoples. And Hezekiah gets this notice that he's coming to Jerusalem next. So he goes into the temple and he begins to pray. And verse 20 says... Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying... Now, Isaiah was the prophet, okay? And so he's not there, he's not in the room, he's not in the prayer. But after Hezekiah prays, Isaiah shows up. And he says to Hezekiah, This says the Lord, the God of Israel... Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, I have heard you. The prophet comes and tells him, you know, God heard your prayer. You went into the temple. You were in there alone, but, but God heard your prayer. And then in a couple of verses later, verse 32, Isaiah is still telling him, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord sent out And struck 185,000 soldiers in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. Now, I don't know what you do with that kind of a story. You believe it? You try to set it aside, try to figure out something else? But, But here's what I understand. You can see an army, but you can't see a prayer, but they're both effective. Armies are effective, and prayer is effective. One's as effective as the other. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, our prayer works like a bank safety deposit box. You know what? You know how, You have a bank safety deposit box. You know how it works, right? You need to get in that safety deposit box, so you take your key and you go down there and you put it in the box. But can you get in it? Why not? Well, because the bank has a key too. And the banker has to put his key in the box, and when you have both keys, you can get the safety deposit box out. Paul says to Timothy, that's the way prayer works. You, know, you can't do anything on your own through prayer unless God puts his key in the box. But God won't do anything in our world unless we put the key in the box. In other words, it's both of us working together. We need to work with God in doing what he can do. So let me ask you this question. Can prayer make a difference in our country? Does it do any good for us to pray for our president? Does it do us any good to pray for our judges and our congressmen? And I suspect you, many times like I do, you feel, you know, it's just hopeless. Ain't nothing going to change. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Ezekiel... The prophet Ezekiel says this. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery. And they have wronged the poor and the needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. And I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land. That I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them; I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. And and here's what Ezekiel is saying. God did not necessarily want to destroy Judah, but Ezekiel said there was no one to stand in the gap and pray. No one. Paul says, I mean, Scripture says, the New Testament says, that God is not willing that any should perish. And then Paul says to Timothy, he wants us to pray for those folks. He wants us to go to those folks. He wants us to partner with God so that none should perish God does not want to destroy our culture our land, our country but someone must stand in the gap we can make a difference but we can't be too busy to pray too behind to pray, too discouraged to pray prayer can make a difference in our lives it can help us to live quiet and tranquil lives it can help us to live godly lives And it can help us reach people with the gospel. Prayer does make a difference. And Paul says to Timothy, it's the first thing. Remember the first importance. Pray. Pray. It's the heart of God that you be saved. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You see... God's heart is that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's His heart. That's what He wants for you. Let's pray. It does make a difference. Let's pray. Father, we pray. We pray that we can be dynamic believers like you've called Timothy to be. That we can remember that we do have a role in our world. Even when our team is against us. Even if our government. so we understand your passions and what's really important to you. Help us to care that Jesus Christ is the mediator and no one has to be saved. Stand together.